0: If you've been around, we've been going through psalms. We've kind of been doing the summer of psalms, and we've had different people preach through different psalms, and, and kind of the, these psalms is really a collection of songs, and they would have been sung, and, and so we've been kind of going through these, and we, we talked about the fact that there's kind of five different types of psalms. There would have been these songs that people would have sung to praise God, like just like, God, you are so good. There'd be, there's songs that are really just like, God, you are good. And then there's um, psalms of, that would be songs of wisdom, like kind of a, a song that you sing to remind yourself something that's super important. And there's psalms that are of thanksgiving to kind of thank God for, for who He is, for what He's done. There's royal psalms where it's really declaring who God is. There's psalms of lament just kind of saying how hard this life can sometimes be. And then there's some that kind of are a blend of all of those. And so we've talked about that, and we've talked about how many of the Psalms were written by David, and we've talked about quite a few of those. And then last week, if you were here, Josh preached, and he preached not about a Psalm, a Psalm of David, but a Psalm of Asaph, who was a seer and a prophet. And And it was kind of, if you were here, Josh said like this psalm is actually like a corporate song that would be sung, not an individualistic song. It's not one like, I mean, you can apply it individually, but it was really for the group. And in it, there was this line that was repeated and it said, restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. And, you know, the whole time that he was talking and he was sharing last week, he was talking about how the people of God were desperate for him and then they slowly weren't desperate for him. And the the psalm was really a cry out and a song to say, God, bring us back to where we really rely on you. And and I felt like it was, number one, a, a great sermon, but more than that, it was great for the time and for the place. Like I think, and I've said this several times this summer, I think summer has a way of being a distraction. It's like you got vacation, you got stuff and life and kids are at home and it's just, I said as a group, as a church, in a way I kind of feel like we're distracted. And so I think last week um, Psalm 80, us crying out saying God restore us was was awesome. And so if you uh, weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to that We do have on our website that is extremely outdated a spot where you can go to podcasts and you can see all of that. Our website says that we were created two and a half years ago, which we planted five years ago, so uh, we're a little behind, but... That's a side, side sermon there. So today we're going to go back into a Psalm of David, okay? We're going to be in Psalm 55, and one of the things that we said as we were talking about psalms is they're not in chronological order, so it's not like you just know exactly what's going on. You can see this psalm, you see this song that would be sung, but it's like, what's going on? And, and so I think it's really important before we dive into Psalm 55 to be reminded of a little bit about David, about his life, and then take it all the way into what was going on in his life when he wrote this song. And again, it's real people, real events that lead to this song. And so I think it's important for us to to go through some of that. So David, we have a guy by the name of David. He will eventually become king. He's a young shepherd. And God kind of comes to him through Samuel and basically says, you are going to be the next king. And he's just like, I'm just a little shepherd guy, but okay, I'll be the next king. And then that leads to David and Goliath, this awesome story of him conquering the giant. And then it leads to him getting a job working for the king, working for King Saul to be his kind of music player to calm him down. And then he gets to marry Saul's daughter. He becomes best friends with Saul's son. And it's this time of David's life where it's just he's really trusting God. And so much so that he's slaying these giants. And then it kind of leads into... um, People really thinking David's pretty cool, which Saul is just filled with jealousy over. It gets Saul to the point that he wants to kill him, and he goes after him, and so David kind of has to, in essence, abandon his wife so that he's not murdered by her dad. And then he is living in a cave, and it, the nation of Israel as a whole goes into the kind of a time of crisis in that. And so what you see is David had this time where he's really trusting the Lord. Then he has this time where he's really relying on the Lord, like, God you know, help me, protect me. This guy's trying to kill me. And then it leads into Saul ends up dying in this um, in this national crisis time, and David becomes king, and he has victory after victory. He takes over new territory after new territory, and the kingdom's expanding, and everybody's singing his praises, and things seem great. And what we said two weeks ago is, man, when that starts to happen, it's really easy to turn to comfort. And that's what happens with David. He He is getting all these riches, and he's got kids, and he's got a bunch of wives, and things seem great, but then he's so comfortable that he ends up having an affair with Bathsheba. It leads to a cover-up where they kill Uriah, but God knows all the time. What we talked about two weeks ago was that God knows. like We try to keep things secret and hidden, but God really knows, and God reveals it to a guy by the name of Nathan. Nathan comes, and he confronts David, and David repents, and that's where we ended two weeks ago. But then we pick back up in that, and David and Bathsheba had conceived this child, and they had killed Uriah, her husband. And now David marries her. And things, again, he's got, everything seems like it's going great. And then the baby is born. And the baby dies seven days later. And I start to think, like, there's this part of me that thinks, like, if I was king, that would be so awesome. But you fail to realize that whether you're king or whether you're not a king, you still go through crappy stuff. And David has this son that dies. And then they go through this time of mourning, and what happens is, is they eventually conceive another kid named Solomon, which will be kind of a bright spot in the midst of tons of darkness. The darkness that we see throughout um, that leads up to David writing Psalm 55 is this. It really deals with his kids. He's got multiple kids. One of his kids, Amnon, um, he thinks that his half sister Tamar is beautiful. Like he l- really likes her. And he comes up with this plan with the help of a cousin, and his cousin says, You should pretend like you're sick, ask your dad to have him send Tamar to you, and when she comes to you and you're alone, have your way with her. And so Amnon decides, That's a pretty good idea. So his sister comes to him to help take care of him, and he rapes his sister and it says that she goes on after that point a desolate woman can you imagine being david you've lost a 7-year-old or 7-day-old son and now your son rapes your daughter the pain that you would have for your daughter the pain that you would have for your son well one of david's other sons absalom obviously does not like what his Half brother has done to his sister. And it's anger that's burning him up inside. And for two years, he's just burning with anger toward his brother. And at the end of two years, he comes up with this great plan. And the plan is I'm going to get Amnon drunk, and then I'm going to have my servants kill him. And so he does it. Imagine you're David, you're king. Everything's great, right? But wait. Your seven-day-old son has died. Your son has raped your daughter. Your daughter is obviously going through so much, surrounded by that, and your other son kills your son. That son that kills, Absalom is his name, the one that kills Amnon, well, now he has committed murder, and the, the, the punishment can be death. So now he flees. So you're David. You've lost a son. You've lost another son. Your daughter has been raped, and now, in essence, you've lost another son. That is where David is at. And it's during this time, I think, that he realizes his, ha- his house is in turmoil. I don't know what your life looks like, but I can, I can tell you from people I've seen and even from small moments of my life that if, if your house is in turmoil, it doesn't matter how great your business is going if your house is in turmoil and the church is growing, it really doesn't seem to matter. And for David, his house is in turmoil. To a point that I think it would, be, it would have been hard for him to find joy in anything else. And so what David does is he, he actually reaches out and has his people go find Absalom and bring him back. And he displays this amazing grace and this forgiveness to his son. But Absalom doesn't accept it, and Absalom won't go see his father. And it's like this for for a while. Absalom wants nothing to do with his father. He decides that he wants the kingdom, and he's going to take it by force. And so for four years, he plans this, and he gets stronger and stronger, and he has this conspiracy where he's going to go take out the kingdom, and he wants to become king. He wants his kingdom, not his father's. And so David again has to go into hiding. Only this time he's not being pursued to be killed by his father-in-law. Now he's being pursued to be killed by his son, the one who he displayed grace to. That son wants to kill him. And what we see in David's life is he is in this time where his house is in turmoil. We see David where he's in this time where his life is in danger. And he is in this time where his living situation is far less than ideal. He's living in a cave again. And I can tell you, for me, for my life, if, if like the smallest thing happens, like if my air conditioner went out, it would be like the worst thing in the entire world. And we have David whose house is in turmoil, his life is in danger, and his living situation is far less than ideal. And that is when he writes Psalm 55. If you have a Bible, you can flip open. We're going to go ahead and read the whole psalm, and this is what Psalm 55 says that David writes in the midst of this deep, dark spot. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for I, they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come on me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings. I would fly like a dove and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from it. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go to Sheol alive, for evil is in the dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Even in evening and morning and noon, I utter complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from old, because they do not change and they do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. God, I pray that the words that come from my mouth will be pleasing to you. I pray that you will teach us, that you will open our eyes to see glorious things from your word. pray this in your awesome and precious name. Amen the circumstances of david's life when he writes this are at an all-time low his house is in turmoil and there's one of the the biggest thing that's really going on is he has tons of stuff going on in his kids' life and i know that we have a lot of parents and a lot of young parents and i can say that when something's going on with your kids it can be all consuming it can be where you can't sleep it can be where you're just so stressed about stuff that's going on with your kids. It can, I mean, it can be something as small as they're sick or they're not sleeping well, or their grades aren't what they should be, or their behavior's not what it should be, or they got sent to the principal's office on the first day of kindergarten. I, I don't think my mom slept real well that night, thinking this is going to be a long journey. But the thing is, is his his house is in turmoil and his kids. There's so much going on with this kids. And I was thinking about this this week. Like we have a lot of young parents, and so I want to speak to young parents just for a minute. Um, I think that there's this thought, if I do X and Y, my kids will be okay. I think there's this thought, well, if I just raise them, if I just tell them a Bible study every night before they go to bed, I say a quick prayer for them, they're going to turn out the way that they're supposed to. Well, I can tell you that that's not the case. You can see countless stories of where that doesn't work. A parent might have done all the right things, but it didn't seem to catch. And I can tell you of people that I know as parents that when their kid began to doubt the Lord, they were crippled. I can tell you of people who, when their kid started struggling with depression, they were crippled. I know know parents who, when their kid decided what they were going to be, Republican or Democrat, and when they labeled themselves as that, they were crippled. I know parents who when they saw deep anger in their kids or mental health issues that it just destroyed them. If their kids struggled with addiction, if they had unhealthy relationships, if they ended up falling and having premarital sex, it ruined them as parents and it ruined them as a person. I I know of people who are destroyed because their kids got married and got divorced. I know people who have been destroyed because their kid has decided that they are an atheist. I think the thing is that I say specifically to to young parents, I say to myself as a parent, just because you do X, Y, and Z does not really mean anything. (laughs) doesn't mean that you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. But if you are crippled because of your kid going in a way different than the way that God would have them, I think maybe the kid was an idol. We pray for our kids, but for David, David is in this situation where the worst imaginable things are going on in his kids' lives. But what's crazy to me, is he's not crippled. He's broken, but he's not crippled. The next thing that you see with David is his life is in danger. And I can tell you again, um, if I have a toothache, it's the worst thing in the world. Sarah made me eat a bag of popcorn one time, and I chipped a tooth. And I say that it was her fault, and we continue to, me going back to, I have not eaten popcorn, and it's been, how long has it been now, Caleb? A year and a half? I have not, I call it the devil's candy now, because when I bit down on the kernel, my tooth just shattered. I I was a baby about it, I still am a baby about it, and I promise you I'm going to continue being a baby about it. I had to get a root canal, it was not, it was not good, it was like $2,000 to get all this, it was, uh, and it's still still Sarah's fault. (laughs) Everybody on the same page, it was Sarah's fault, please raise your hand. So, but, but with that, like, right, my life was not in danger, and I truly was crippled over the fact that my tooth shattered because of this popcorn kernel that Sarah made me eat. But David's life isn't in danger. I can say, like, I can't imagine if sickness or disease, it's coming. There will be a time where I, my life is in danger. I mean, really, my life is in danger all day, every day. All of ours is. But when it's really at danger, and, and if, what if it was it, your life was in danger because your child who you loved, who you raised, who you, diapers you changed, who you took care of, who, who you displayed grace to, and they want to kill you. That's where David is at, and he's living in a cave. What would you do if you were in this situation? I mean, I think many of us go through far less and are far more banana-shaped. What would you do? What would I do if I was in anything close to this situation? I, what I want us to do is I want us to look at, what, real fast, a couple things that David does not do, and then I want to look at deeper of, th- of a, a handful of things that David does. And then I want to continue on from there. The First couple things. The things that David doesn't do, he doesn't seem to curse God. He's not blaming God. He's not mad at God. He's not like, you, it's your, he, he's, he's not cursing God. He's not wandering from the Lord to go to other things to try to please him. He's also not taking things into his own hands. He's not like, My kid wants to kill me, well I better kill him first. And like he's not taking things into his own hand. And so what is it that that David is doing in this? The first thing is this if you look back at verse one, it says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, attend me and answer me. He goes to the Lord. He goes to his father. I think what it is is he, he's going to him and he's, like I said, we can go through far less and, and not make it through, but he's going to the Lord. I think what happens in my life when I'm kind of irked at God, I might go to him, but what I go to, when I go to him, it's like with kind of a hardened heart, with like a, you know, you better fix this type of a mentality, but David, he goes to the Lord in Humility. The next thing that you see is uh, verse 2. He says, I am restless. I have complaints, verse 2. In verse 4 and 5, he says, I am moaning. I'm in pain. I have heartache. I have fear. He says in verse 4 that he is in anguish. He's go- he goes to God, and he's mad. He's ticked. He does not like what's happening in his life. It's not like he's like, this is pretty cool. My kid wants to kill me. He goes to God, and he is honest with him, and he is in essence, I think, saying, God, this is the worst nightmare I could fathom. How often are you, how often am I truly honest with God? I mean, He knows, but how often do we say it? Have you ever had a time where you've been so frustrated that you kind of, in a way, like cussed at God? I don't know if what I want to say is heretical or not, but I think that that's okay. Like, I think God wants us to be honest with him. And I think what you see with David is he goes respectfully to the Lord. He goes to him, but he's like, dude, what? I am in anguish, God. He's honest with him. And, and I think that so often that's not where we are. But if you look at verse 9, he says, God, I, I see violence and strife in the city. I see the walls of the city are in danger. I see that ruin is at the midst. And I think what David is doing in this moment, he's being honest with the Lord, that he's living out his worst nightmare. But then I think that he realizes something. He's almost like, he's like, you know what? The problem with Absalom, my son, wanting to kill me is a far bigger problem than just for me. This Absalom wants to kill me And what's that going to do to the city? Like, how many people follow me? How many people follow him? This could turn into a civil war. This could just be a bloodbath if he wants to take this kingdom. But I think that it goes even deeper than that. I think that he begins to see that there's a bigger problem than the problem that he's facing. There's a bigger problem than the problem that the nation of Israel is facing. I think he begins to see something. And I'm totally reading into this. What David does with Bathsheba and that whole situation, there are so many parallels to what is happening now in his kid's life. Like eerily. And I won't go into that too far, but I think that David begins to see that there's a far bigger problem than Absalom. There's a far bigger problem than the problem for him, for the nation of Israel. I think he's beginning to see that there is a deep, deep problem in everyone and it's the problem of sin. It's the problem of the knowledge of evil that goes all the way back to the garden. I think David, in this, he's not just going to the Lord, being honest with the Lord, like, there's a problem for me. He's going to the Lord so honest. He's like, God, there is a huge problem, and it's a problem across the board. And if it it wasn't Absalom, it would be somebody else. I think he's seen that everybody wants their own kingdom, And that's what's so scary and so dangerous is that everybody wants their own kingdom. And so we see that David goes to the Lord, he's honest with the Lord, and then I think what you see, verse 6, he says, oh, that I had wings, I would fly away and be at rest. In verse 7, he says, I would wander and I would find a lodge. In verse 8, he says, I would find a shelter. But at first glance, he's kind of like, I just want to get away from the problem. But then if you stop there, I think you you, you miss out on what's happening in this. And you you continue on and you go down to verse 6. It has a word, a transition word, but. So he's saying, I want to fly away. I want to be at rest. I want a shelter. And then he says, but. But I call to you. And then he says in verse 17, evening, morning, and noon, I call to you. You see, when I call to the Lord, I want him to fix it. But I think that what David is doing in this moment, he's not calling to God saying, God, fix the problem. He's saying, God, please be with me through the midst of the problem. I can be honest with you, for me, that is not what I do. I I bow down before the Lord, and I'm like, God, you need to fix this. This this. I hate this. Please fix it. And I don't think that's what David's doing. I think he is going to the Lord, he's being honest with the Lord, and he's saying, God, hold me through the midst of this. He's not saying, fix it. He's saying, be with me through it. He's not asking God to be a, a genie in the bottle. He's asking God to be a comforting, loving father. For those of you who are kids, if you're at a time where your kid is sick and there's nothing that you can do to fix it, what do you do? the only thing that you really know how to do is just kind of hold them. And I think that what David is saying is, God, I know that you can fix this, but I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm just asking you to be here with me in the midst of it. David goes to the Lord. He's honest with the Lord. He calls out to the Lord. I think the fourth thing that he does, verse 17, he says, you will hear me. Verse 18, he says, he will redeem my soul. Verse 19, he says, God will give ear. Verse 19, he says that God is enthroned from old. And verse 19, he says, he will humble people. I think what you see is that David is trusting the Lord. He says, you have been enthroned from old. What I think he's saying is, look, like all the way back, as far as I can think, you have been in control. You are currently in control, and as far as I can think into the future, you will continue to be enthroned. He's saying, God, I trust that although I'm seeing my enemy, my son, I'm seeing that enemy, but I'm seeing even a bigger enemy. I'm seeing the enemy of evil, of sin. Even though I'm seeing this enemy, I know that you have been in control, you are in control, and you will be in control. I think what he's trusting is that while the enemy is at work and it seems um, shocking how at work he is, God is still in control. And I, I can say with all the stuff that we see in the news, there are times where I can really wrestle like, is God really in control? Why is this stuff happening? H- like how? But but what I think David is saying in the midst of seeing all of this stuff go on, he's saying, God, I trust that you are in control. You have been enthroned, you are enthroned, and you will be enthroned. He goes on, and in verse 22, he says, cast our burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain us. He won't let the righteous be moved. He's trusting in God. I think what he's doing is he's trusting God to be an anchor. And I was thinking about this this week, that if you picture a boat... In a a sea where there's a storm and the waves are going crazy, it's just flying all over the place, right? But then if it puts an anchor down, if it's got a really, really good anchor, the boat's going to be moving, but it's not really moving. And I think that what David is saying is, God, you are my anchor. You are the place where I find peace. You are the place where I find comfort. You are the place where I find joy. You are the place where I find hope. And in nothing else, nothing else It's just like the lyrics of the song we sang right before this. And then it ends with this absolutely amazing line. He says, but I will trust you. All through this psalm, David's house is in turmoil. His life is in danger. And his living situation is far less than ideal. And he goes to the Father, he's honest with the Father, and he trusts the Father. Is that what you do? Is that what I do? Pause there. How many people remember those pictures? They were popular when I was uh, quite a bit younger. It was like, it's a picture, and you look at it, you see one thing, but as you kind of refocus your eyes, you see another thing. Anybody remember those things? Okay, good. Two people do. Two people remember them. So, so there's there these pictures, right, you look at this picture and you see something, and you have to refocus your eyes, and I remember there was one, it's like a guy, but as you refocus your eyes, you see a lady, and it's always like, do you see the guy or do you see the lady? And there's, there's the front picture and there's the picture behind the scenes, and I think that the front picture of this psalm that we see is just what I said, it's David goes to the Lord, he's honest with the Lord, he calls out to the Lord, he trusts the Lord, that's the front picture. But I think that if we really remember when this text was written and why this text was written the back picture becomes much more apparent. The reason why this front picture of David doing all those things is even happening, it's because of this back picture. It's because Absalom wouldn't go to his father. It's because Absalom wasn't being honest with his father. It was because Absalom wanted nothing to do with his father. Absalom did not trust his father but trusted in his own ways. The back picture is Absalom trusting in himself and himself alone and conspiring over the course of four years to kill his father because he wanted to be judge and jury. So much so that people would come to have David kind of um, hear their cases and make rulings on it. And so what Absalom decides is he would just position himself down the street a little bit and as people were coming, he'd say, I'll take care of it. I'll tell you what's right, what's wrong. Absalom wanted to be judge and jury. He wanted to take things into his own hands. He felt that he knew best, that even though he was given grace, he didn't want it. He didn't feel he needed it, and he was willing to defend himself rather than have one defend him. You see this thing with with Absalom that God, that excuse me, that, that David tried to bring him close, but he wanted to go his own way. Even to the point where he was willing to kill his father. And as I was this week, looking at the front picture and the back picture, how different they were, how opposite they were, I started asking myself, what does my lo- life look like? If my house is in turmoil, do I look more like David or do I look more like Absalom? If my life was in danger, who would I look more like? When my living circumstances aren't what I want them to be, who do I look more like? Who do you think you look more like, David or Absalom? I think if we're all honest, we all are Absalom. We want our way. We don't want God to be with us in the midst of the storm. We want him to take away the storm. I know I'm Absalom. Throughout this, David says several things, and I think he says, I'm restless. I have complaints. I hear constant noise of my enemy. I'm oppressed. And when, when that's me, when that's what's going on, I'm like, Absalom, I just want my way. I don't want God's way. I don't want to go to God. I don't want to be honest with God. I don't want to call out to him. I want to go my way, do my things to fix my problems, because uh, I think I look just like Absalom. When my heart is in anguish, when the terrors of death or fear and trembling, when there's a raging storm, when there's violence and strife, I think I know the way when there's fear of ruin. Man, we we turn to so many different things to feel comfort. Absalom wants to go his way. He wants to be judge and jury. He wants to go his way. He wants to be in control. He wants his kingdom and he's willing to take it by force. And we see this very different picture. We see the front picture of David and we see this back picture of Absalom. And... I feel like if I stop right there, the message could almost be taken that the message that I'm trying to portray is, don't be Absalom. Try harder. Be better. Be David. Be like David. All right, go home. The problem is, it doesn't work. I've tried so hard to be like David. I'm just going to go to the Lord. I'm frustrated, but I'm just going to go to the Lord. I'm just going to call out to him. I'm going to trust him. But what's crazy is you can't make yourself trust God. You tried to, you tried to like, I'm just, okay, I'm really going to trust you on this. And then it doesn't seem like it's going the way you want it to. And what happens? So the problem isn't, we can't just say, stop being like Absalom and be like David. It doesn't work. Because we, too, have that deeper problem. We, too, have that problem of sin, of pride, of wanting to go our own way, of being right in our own eyes. The problem that we face isn't the fact that our house is in turmoil. We have a far bigger problem than our house being in turmoil. If our life is in danger, that's terrible, but we have a far bigger problem than our life on this earth being in danger. We have a far bigger problem than a living circumstance on this earth. We have a real enemy that we face. We have real oppression. We have something that we really need to be in rest from. We have something that can truly ruin us, something that really causes trouble, something that we should fear, something that does lead to violence, something that does lead to strife, something that will definitely send our hearts into anguish. We have a problem with sin. Because we're Absalom. And the thing with it is we have something that we need to be saved from, that we need to be redeemed from, that we, need to be in, that we need someone who can be enthroned over. It's Jesus. What's crazy to me in this text is what's causing all of this problem is David's son. But what fixes the problem is God's son. Jesus is the one who, although we are oppressed because of this evil in this world, and the evil that's in our hearts too, we're oppressed by it. But, but Jesus came and he said that he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We, because of this evil, because of sin that lives in, in the Absaloms, but also in us, we need rest from it. And Jesus said that he came, he says, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. We need to to have shelter in the midst of the storm. And who is it that came and that was with his disciples on a boat and the storm is raging and he's with them in the midst of the storm. But at some point after the storm has gone on, for what he felt to be long enough, he said, Be still, and the storm stopped. It was Jesus. He is the one who can stop the wind and calm the tempest. He's also the one who can be with you in the midst of it. And then, if you look at this, we need one that is enthroned from old. John 1, 1, what does it say? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then it goes on, and says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus has been enthroned from the very beginning. We need one who is enthroned, who can rescue us, who can redeem us, who can save us, who will give us rest we need one who has been enthroned and who will always be enthroned the word tells us that one day every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is lord jesus it was he who came said for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and his word even says that we will have life and life to the abundant we can't just try harder to be like David. We're, we're Absalom. We need to be rescued from it, and Jesus is who does that. In our, in our text, we see that David goes to the Lord. He's honest with the Lord. He calls out to the Lord. He trusts the Lord. But I think there's one more thing that he does. Verse 22, when he says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you, he says he will sustain you. At first, he's singing the song for himself, but in verse 22, it turns and he begins to sing it to other people. He says, he will sustain you. He will not permit you to be moved. What David begins to do after he goes to the Lord, he's honest with the Lord, calls out to the Lord, he trusts the Lord, the fifth thing that he does is he encourages others to do the same. The only way that that happens is through Jesus and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The the Bible tells us that God gives us his spirit and we have groanings that are too deep for words. God says that he gives us a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. It's, It's not that I can say, I need to stop being like Absalom and start being like David. I need one who will give me a new spirit that will make me like David. We don't try harder to be more like David rather than Absalom. We ask the Lord to give us a spirit that wants, that desires Him, that needs Him. My hope and my prayer for us as individuals, us as a people, is that because of Jesus, we go to God. Because of Jesus, we're honest with our God. We call out to Him. And we put our trust in Him. And we encourage others to do the same. Let's pray. God, um, man, I want my way. I want my life to be easy. I want the, the good life. I don't want My house to be in turmoil. I don't want my life to be in danger. I don't want my living circumstances to be less than ideal. But I know that one day that that will happen for me, that will happen for all of us. So God, I pray that you will not um, have us be a people that try in our own effort to to get through that, but that we will will come to you through Jesus that you will give us a new spirit that doesn't just make it through that, but a spirit that calls out to you, that cries out to you, that trusts in you. God, I'm sure that there are people in this room that are going through, maybe not as deep and dark of stuff as what David was, but who are going through hard stuff right now. God, I pray that you will confront them through Jesus and that you will give them the Spirit to bow down before you and to say, God, I do not like what is happening, but I trust you. I want this problem to be fixed, but instead of wanting it to be fixed so much, I want you to be with me through it. God, um, we thank you for Jesus, that this problem of sin, this problem of evil, there's nothing else that fixes it. So God, I pray that We will bow before you, the one who who was and is and is to come, the one who has been enthroned, who is currently enthroned, and the one who will always be enthroned.